Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Stroh. And hi, hi Anika. Uh, and this is the State of Mind podcast on Radio Regent Park. Um, took a month off. Things were very busy and trying to get back on it. And so here we are. I hope everybody's enjoying their day. And I want to introduce our guest. And I'm going to let her uh, introduce herself because I always find that's a better way to, to go about it. So, Onika, can you please introduce yourself to everybody? <laughs> All right, Mike. Um, my name is Onika L. Dainty. I am a 36-year-old writer and podcaster living in Toronto. Uh, I have struggled with bipolar affective disorder. I've, I kind of feel like I've conquered it, to be honest with you, but um, it's been a part of my life for the last 12 years. Um, before that, there was a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety. Um, what else about me? Oh. <laughs> uh, what else about you me? You have a podcast. I have you a podcast, so, yes. tell, Yeah, tell us a little bit about your writing and your, you said you're a writer, a podcaster, yes. right? So and a creative us, as well. Yeah, a creative. I, I'm a creative as well, I like so to tell say. So us, tell us a little bit about the creations. Okay, so Please. the podcast is called The Dainty Dish Podcast. Um, it is a mental health awareness podcast similar to yours, mm-hmm. uh, Mike. Um, just always trying to wa- raise awareness um, for mental health concerns in our community. Um, we have been running for about a year and a half now. Uh, it's very exciting stuff. We have listeners all around the world and we love our listeners so very much. And, uh, we just, we want to stop the stigma. That's what it's really all about. And wait, and you haven't missed one week. Is that right? We missed one week. I was, we missed one, we missed one week. Yeah. Um, I just was like, I had a like terrible idea. Sometimes like (laughs) idea, like sometimes you poop out a gem and sometimes you poop out a piece of poop. Uh So that week it was a piece of poop. And I just like, I had to make the executive decision that like, you know what? We're not doing this this week. And it was like right at the like peak of like, I had go through ebbs and flows with my mental health. So I know I was like ebbing and flowing in a negative direction and I was really stressed and I didn't, you know, I just was like, Let's just take a week off. Like we're done with that. But we've we've been consistent uh, throughout the show. Um, every second Wednesday of the month, we have a segment called All Kinds of Crazy, which Mike has been on. If you want to check that out, it's uh, daintydish.com. That's D-A-I-N-T-Y-D-Y-S-H.com. Um, so Mike has been on the show. He was on our All Kinds of Crazy segment uh, last year talking about uh, his mental health. And we have people on the show, uh, professionals, uh, people with lived experience and advocates that talk about their journey um, and share their journey with us and our listening audience. Yeah, that's awesome. I was just, I'm about halfway through listening to my brother uh, mm. on your show. Oh, yes, your brother was on yeah, the show. Hey, Dave. Yeah. Uh, boy. Um, but that's a, quite a feat to basically have done that every single, like literally every single week. For. It is. That's a huge feat. Like it is, it's, it can be stressful. It can be stressful. Um, my co-host and, um, podcast partner, JR, um, was also my cousin. So you can imagine the family dynamic working (laughs) together, trying to create, you know, this, this thing that means something important Mm -hmm. every week when we're bickering about God knows what, you know, it's kind of, it's, it presents its own challenges. And I, I'm very, I can be very defensive. Mm -hmm. So like, 
I want all my ideas to hit. Like, I want them all to be hits, right? And then I, I'll get to him, and he's like, this is not a hit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, damn, I know it's not a hit, and I hate that you're right. You know, so he's my voice uh, of reason, basically. He keeps amazing. me grounded. He keeps me grounded, so it's good. It's an, it's, like I said, it's an interesting dynamic, um, but he's always very supportive, so. Awesome. And so, and you also uh, have a, like you wrote a section of a book, like yes. a published book. Can yes, you tell us I a little was. Bit about um, that? I had a chapter published in a in a series called "Empowering Women to Succeed." You can get mm-hmm. it on Amazon. Um, and the chapter was about my story. Um, I'm writing a longer a longer version of that, a, a book, uh, autobi- an autobiography. Um, I'm not going to reveal the name quite yet. Sure, don't. <laughs> uh, oh, screw it. I'll do it. Um, it's called Side Effects May Vary My Journey Through Madness. I'm um, about three cool. chapters away from being finished. I have my editor on, you know, on, on call and I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to be in chapters. Like, to be honest with you, that's what I want. I want this to spread worldwide. Um, and I, I think it was, I think it was important for me to tell my story. It's a story of, um, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of triumph. Um, there's a lot of struggle, you know, adversity. It's maybe, why, why don't we get into it? Yeah, why I was going to say, it's a great we, segue. That's like, that. That was a good segue. Let's get into it then. Please do, yeah. So I was born in Guyana, South America. I came up to Canada on Christmas Day, 1988. Um, and so I... So that would have made you like six, five I or six? I was four, turning four, five. Okay. My, my birthday was a week later. Yeah. And so, siblings? And I have one sibling. Yeah. Um, she's younger than me, so she's Canadian. Okay. She grew up Canadian, North American. Um, I grew up both West Indian right. and uh, North American. Okay. It was a dual kind of. So she uh, was born here. Experience. She was born here. Okay. She was born here. So when I uh, originally came up, I experienced a lot of like being feeling like the other and feeling different. I had an accent. I didn't wear the right clothes. I didn't wear the right shoes. My hairstyle wasn't the right way. You know, so there was bullying that happened from a very, very early age, like kindergarten. I know my mom tells me this story about a little kid and he, I was playing with a toy and he came up to me and he was just like, my dad told me not to play with you because you're dirty and you don't shower. You're just an N word. And I'm like, he was, he literally was four or five. And so the teacher had to like, my, I told my parents, and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I'd never heard that word before. And so my mom's like, it's it's not a good word, and we're going to talk to your teacher about it. So then there was like a big kind of like fuss over the situation. And there should be fuss, but yeah. I was kind of felt even more centered out by it. Like, it's kind of like the teacher was saying, you have to like accept Onika. You have to accept her. You have to accept her. Like, you don't was have, it a you don't predominantly have like white It was a predominantly or? white classroom. Yeah. I think there was like one Indian girl in my class. Um, there were more black people that were to come later on, yeah, but like, yeah. um, it was a predominantly white classroom. So that, that. And that's like the mid 80s, right? Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. Like there were more yeah. immigrants that came into but, the school, but right. at the time, like I was the, I was singled out. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was singled yeah. out. And, um, it was very hard. It was just really, it was really challenging. And as I grew up, um, the bullying kind of persisted until I moved to Pickering at the age of nine. Um, and another thing, I just like going backwards. I'm sorry. I tell no, no, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. in a funny way. Um, my just what was going on with me at home. Um, my mother was a nurse and just just retired last week. She's wow. a nurse of 37 years. Oh. 
and um, she worked night shifts, and my father worked in the day, and he used to drink quite a bit over the course of the weekends. Um, so uh, he was a heavy drinker. We don't use the term alcoholic in my family because he doesn't consider himself alcoholic. Sure. Um, but um, he was a heavy drinker, and w- he would pass out, and um, one of his uh, drinking associates uh, ended up molesting me. Um, and that went on from the ages of six to nine until we moved to Pickering. Um, from what I understand, he, he often, cause there was other cousins of mine that had stories and they told me like, you know, this, this happened to me. Like when it first was revealed that this had happened to me many, 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 many years later, um, I had like family members come up to me like, yeah, the same thing happened to me and with you know, the same with person? the same person because wow. he traveled, like they were a crew, they were like a crew. So they traveled together and you know, he would take advantage whenever he could. So when at the age of nine, by then, um, I think we'd lost touch with him. Uh, I'd heard rumors that he ended up going to jail for molesting a young boy. Um, so he was not in this circle anymore. So when we moved to Pickering, there was, there was, there was peace in that sense, but there was still never any peace because my house was always chaos. Like it was always like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like never fail. Like, party people food drinking everyone's in the kitchen everyone's con- like congregating and like yelling and so it was just it was very for someone who valued like silence <laughs> though though i love to talk i do value silence <laughs> yeah. um it was really hard for me it was really hard for me and school life was it was was getting better you know i was invisible which i loved I was like and, anonymous. Okay, yeah. What do you? What does that look like in your daily school life? So when I first got to, and we moved to Pickering, like I said, and I went to um, Saint Isaac Joe's Catholic School, mm-hmm. um, and the first couple of weeks it was like the end of grade five. I moved like right at the end, so it was like three weeks. I had to deal with like who's this girl? Yeah. Like who's that girl? Like you know, they had to deal with like people looking at me and making comments about me and trying to figure me out and not yeah. knowing who I was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe some boys made some comments, you know, little things. Nothing yeah. as horrific as what I went through in my other elementary school. Right, right. And then the summer came. I made friends. I became acclimated to the area. You know, I I played a lot and I thinned out because I was a chubby little kid and I thinned out and I went to, I got to grade six and I was invisible. Like there was, there was no, I wasn't a new girl anymore. But I wasn't exactly someone to single out anymore because right. I'd lost. I shed all the weight because a lot of the a lot of the bullying that happened when I was younger was based on my size that I was, you know, I still had baby fat. Yeah. So, you know, they call me Miss Piggy or whatever, like yeah. stupid names, stupid names yeah, that kids yeah. come up with. So, you yeah. know, um, going to St. Isaac's, I was I felt that invisibility and it was it was like a cloak that I wore around me that I really rather enjoyed until I realized, no, I want to be seen and I want to be heard. So I made a shift in high school to just basically not give a crap about what anyone says about me or thinks about me. And I just kind of did my own thing. And I made a lot of friends and I was really popular in high school. I was the social butterfly. Um, But uh, there were, uh, there was things going on behind the scenes as well. So Um, when you, so you remember clearly making a decision to say, like, I'm going to transition from, 
being quiet and to myself and etc to being myself and more like extroverted i guess if that's the yeah, right word like, yeah i was i was always extroverted but the problem was i had like a core group of girlfriends that were the invisible girls right and i wanted to start being visible so okay. i started hanging out with the popular girls but they right. were doing stuff that i wasn't into like showing their panties to boys and right, like showing right. their bra strap to boys and stuff <laughs> like stuff that little girls do like yeah. get boys attention that i wasn't interested in that so then I became a loner, and in that so period of like, I left friends. the previous friends, okay, yeah, yeah. hopped over to the popular group, yeah, was yeah, there yeah, for yeah. about a week, was like, mm, this is not for me, <laughs> yeah. and then I was a loner, and I hung out with this one girl, Kim, and we would just like, I was just like, it was a period of reflection, because uh-huh. Kim was really alone, like, I didn't like the feeling of, of loneliness and being alone. You know, she yeah. was really a true loner to the T. Yeah. To the point where she's like, I don't even want to hang out with you right now. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't even <laughs> want you to be here. So, like, she was a loner. And I didn't like feeling alone. So, I just kind of, like, that summer, I, th- I just sat with myself. I was just like, no, high school's going to be different. I'm going to reinvent myself. That's the thing. I'm all about reinvention. Like, every every story of my life is a reinvention story. So, you know, I'm going to reinvent hmm. myself in high school. So, that's what I did. And I made a lot of friends. I made a core group of girlfriends. You know, some of them I still talk and to what today. Grade, what grade was that in? That was grade nine. Okay. Um, early like, on. So all that happened in a short amount of time then. Yeah, like yeah. I was, I went in there right away because I was, I was a not an unknown. Yeah. You know, I was an unknown entity. So wow. I made like my core group of girlfriends, yep. and then I just started hopping from group to group and speaking my mind and being myself. And it, it, I wouldn't say it got me into trouble. But I would say, you know, a lot of the girls were dating boys at the time, and I wasn't allowed to date. So I had friends. And um, this one particular guy, he was a grade 11 guy, um, he he befriended me. And um, a couple of weeks into this, like, new friendship, we, you know, we talk on the phone. We do secret group dates with my girlfriends <laughs> and, you know, telling my mom I was going to the movies on a Tuesday with my girlfriends and the guys would already be in the theater, you know, that type of shady stuff that you did when you were little. Yeah. And um, a couple of weeks into it, um, he he was playing soccer and I was um, I was watching him play his like his practice game. And then him and four of his friends were walking me to my locker. Uh, and once I got to my locker, I grabbed my bag and I remember going to get a drink of water and my head slammed against the porcelain uh, sink and they dragged me into the boys' bathroom and they proceeded to, you know, sexually assault me. So that was really, that was probably the first moment of my life where I remember like praying to God, like, help me get out of this. And I basically got out of it unscathed. I was beat up quite a bit. Um, you know, technically I was still a virgin if you want to be technical, but you know, there's a lot of like horrible stuff that happened in that bathroom that day. And I remember running home. Um, first I ran to my old school and they were like, Oh, there's police and ambulance outside of your school. Like, do you know what's going on? I was like, Nope, I have no idea. I ran home and my grandma t- was that for you? The police? That was for me because yeah. I was screaming so loud. Yeah. What I discovered two weeks later, because I stayed home for two weeks, I told my mom I had food poisoning, and then my dad was like, two weeks is enough." Yeah. Um. So when I got back to school, and your parents didn't know anything, they didn't know. They yeah. didn't know because I cleaned myself up at the at the high school at the elementary school. Yeah. And then I just I went home and I went straight up to my room and I took like a million showers, uh, like scolding hot showers, and I just crawled into my bed and I would not get out of bed and that was like the beginning f- for me of a long period of depression and 
just back to the ambulance and yeah, the police, yeah. they were there because the janitors could hear me screaming. But they didn't know where it came from. Wow. So they were checking in every room to see like what was going on. And by the time they got around to where I was by the, um, the music room, uh, the boys were all coming out in unison from the bathroom and the janitor said, well, you know, what's going on? And the boys were like, ah, oh, we don't know. Nothing's happened, whatever. And then, um, the next day they were called to the principal's office and they basically said the same. They had their story like set. And when I got back to school, um, the main guy, the one that I'd been seeing, um, just said to me basically like nothing happened. And if you say anything, it could happen again. So I wouldn't say anything if I were you. And that freaked me out so much that, like, it defined the rest of my high school career. Like, I would hide away. I wouldn't, I wasn't a social anymore. Every every day was, like, just the hardest day to get out of bed. And I just, I kept it to myself. I didn't say anything to my parents because I thought they would blame me. You know? So I, my mom finally figured, not figured something was wrong, but she, she, f- she knew something was off by time. I couldn't hide the, put the facade on yeah, anymore. Yeah. The facade at school, the facade at home, and then crying in my pillow at night, you know? So the, there were cracks in my facade, and she saw that. And she took me to a child psychologist when I was 17. Uh, it was the year before I went away to Carleton. And um, the child psychologist said that I was really anxious about um, school and leaving my mother and my father's drinking and I don't, I think I told, I didn't tell the actual head psychologist, um, that I had been raped, but I did share that with the, um, the counselor that, um, he assigned me to. So I wouldn't tell him and I didn't know it would go in a report, which I actually found. My mom found the report wow. uh, the other day. So I got to read, you know, what he said in the diagnosis was depression and anxiety. Um, so I saw counselors for like about a year. This is before um, university. Before university. Yeah. And they recommended that I see someone when I went to university. But I was, I I didn't know I was in mental health. Yeah. You uh, know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, know when yeah. that first diagnosis h- hits you and you're like, am I in this? Like, am I, well, is I, this my world now? Like, you didn't, you don't want it to be your world. Yeah. You don't want it to be your world. So I didn't. I felt like, okay, I'm being forced to go here, even though it's benefiting me because I get to talk out my problems. Mm-hmm. But that that's only one day out of the seven days a week, every two to three weeks. So I get to let it all out. But am I really going to, at 18, take the initiative to go find a therapist and find a psychologist and get my get some meds or whatever the case may yeah, be? Yeah. I was like, no, I'm reinventing myself. <laughs> I'm 18. I'm going to Carleton. I'm reinventing myself. And at the time, I'd been working at a bank in Toronto, um, the province of Ontario Savings Office. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, but I met a guy. I met a guy. And... Um, we liked each other from what I understood. And, um, whew. so anyways, I met a guy and he wasn't a good guy. Um, we started dating like secretly. This is all the secrecy. Um, we started secretly dating and I went away to school and I tried to break it off. And he said, no, no, you know, I love you and I want to be with you. And, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, I, you know, he's he's supposed to go to North Carolina for a, or South Carolina, sorry, for a soccer scholarship. And I know so what's with me in these soccer guys. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I should stay away from him. Um, but he um, he stuck it out with me. We went, I went away to school. Um, that first semester was was fine. I was fine. I was uh, I made new friends. I made a lot of new friends, friends that I've kept 
up till now. Wow. Um, Were you living in a res or something? I lived in residence. Yeah. I lived in residence. Um, so it was a new experience. It was all new experiences. And, and did you feel comfortable like in the new experience like well i had like five people drop me off to school all right so like it was my sister my mom my dad my cousin candace and my auntie wendy <laughs> um so like i had a bunch of people drop me off like my cousin candace slept the night in yeah. the dorm room with me the first night because my roommate hadn't come yet like so it was one of those things where it's like the cord was cut but it wasn't completely cut mm-hmm. You know, so there was always like could run home to mom and dad if I needed to. Yeah. But the residence experience was good. All right. Cool. And, oh. wait, and you did you do you did OAC? Right? I did yeah, OAC. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ontario Academic Scholar right yeah. here. Oh, man. What a, right here, baby. I would not have got through <laughs> high school if it wasn't for OAC. Yeah, I did OAC. Got or, to Carleton. Yeah. Got to Carleton. And, uh, you know, young girls, we like to talk. We like to talk about our sex lives and, like, what we've done and what we haven't done and try to make it all sound so glamorous and exciting (laughs) when it really was a shit show to begin with. And you know it was a shit show. And, um, you know, so one of those conversations came up. So, of course, Onika gets it in her head that I'm mature. I'm mature now. I'm 18. I live on my own. I could do this. I could have sex. You know, It's, it's not a big deal. It's no biggie. Almost like as if I completely had blocked out this experience that happened to me when I was 14 years old. So I went home Thanksgiving and I visited um, my boyfriend at the time. Um, We were calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend Mm -hmm. at this point. So my boyfriend at the time and um, went to the bank and he proceeded to sexually assault me at the back of the bank uh, in the um, storage room um, because I said I was ready and then I said I wasn't ready and he didn't want to take no for an answer. So, um, that was my second sexual assault. And after that, I just kind of shut down. Um, I barely finished my first year. I spent most of the time in bed and I was on academic warning by the end of it. Um, I told my mom, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you and you hadn't gone to like the counseling office or whatever. No, no, didn't do any counseling. Just like. With every experience, I always seem to find, like, fault within myself. And I know yeah. for anyone who's ever been assaulted, you know what I'm talking about, where it's like, what could I have done differently? You know, what? where's my part in this situation? You know, you know y- y- you're the victim, but at the same time, surviving it, you're just like, how did this happen to me? So it's like, in trying to figure all of that out, like, is there something wrong with me? Yeah. This is the second time. Like, what's going on? Like, how? Ha- am i is there am i sick is there a sign on my face saying you know hurt me like what what is all of this about and so in that there was a lot of like depression and anxiety around that and um finally in my second year on my mom's recommendation and a couple of friends recommendation um i went to see the school counselor and they recommended a therapist for me but this was a pill doctor this wasn't a psychologist. Yeah. This was a therapist. Or like a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Because if it's a pill doctor, like, uh, just wanted to, I'm in the middle of a mindful self-compassion class uh, with my lovely mindfulness doctor. Mm-hmm. And we, obviously different scenario, but a lot of the stuff we're talking about is how so as we're ki- when we're kids, and I, this is the first time I've ever tried to articulate this out loud, so mm-hmm. bear with my messy thought. But 
we don't have the capacity to deal with sort of the confusing emotions that we experience. So we often, you know, if we do something that is deemed not good by the adults around us, I mean, depending on how that's communicated, but we often turn the blame or the anger inward Mm -hmm. because we don't know how to sort of cope with it or communicate it. Mm -hmm. And so over time, as we get older, that's like an embedded experience is like when there's, I guess, intense emotion or when there's bad things that happen, we've already been conditioned to turn inward. And so like what you were saying before about like, you know, I must be a bad person or do I have a sign on my head or like this this pattern of turning inward and condemning and blaming and shaming and all that other stuff that for most people that have had some self-awareness experience, like that's a common thing for the human mind to mm-hmm. engage in. Um And maybe it might be helpful for people. So another part of the class is instead of, um, so the, that's the fight. So the fight, flight, freeze response, the fight response is turning inward. The, um, flight response is isolation versus our common humanity. Mm -hmm. And so when we, oh God, there's so many parallels, but. When we look at somebody who's experiencing something, if we don't agree with it or if we can't empathize with it, then we can just turn away, right? And say, Mm -hmm. like, you're not important. I don't care about you, all those kind of things. Um, And so when we're trying to empathize with the experience of somebody else, whatever that is, but I think it's really hard for people to... I mean, when we think of sexual assault and those kind of things there's not really much worse of a thing you can think of, but it's still very hard to really understand what that means for somebody. Yeah, for sure. And so if we can learn to empathize in other ways of life, maybe we can empathize more in the harder to understand ways. So it's more about seeing our common humanity as opposed to, isolating or pointing fingers and pushing away. Um, But as you were saying that, like that's what was coming up in me is just like, I don't understand what that's like. I could never understand what that's like, but I can feel the pain or the anguish or the whatever and empathize with it in a way. Um, I don't know. That's sort of just my little rant on that. Uh, it was a good rant. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it. I hope that, that was rant. helpful. Yeah. It like, was helpful. In some ways, just like in a broader scale for like, I was going to say, people who haven't had that much experience or even know somebody who's had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else I was going to say, but I totally forget. <laughs> High school. Oh, yeah. The um, You went to the school. So when I... When my bro- so when I was in university and I was a bloody mess, and my brother had his first psychotic episode, I went to the school counselor. It's my only experience with any medical professional until the day like I sobered up, basically. But about my mental health, anyway, the fir- like within ten minutes, he was like, 
you should take some antidepressants. Thank you. Yeah, within Thank 10 minutes. Like, it, sorry, so that's where that came from. Like, so let's uh, go back to your situation. Yeah, so you went so to the school counselor. I went to the school counselor. Yes. They sent me to a psychiatrist. <laughs> and he's like, you know, here are these pills. Yeah. And take them and then see me in two weeks. And so I started taking them and they made me feel really funny. And like, I remember just like dizzy sweats, like. Like, were you in contact with your mom at all? Like, oh, like, my mom is doctor mom. Like, yeah. of course I was in okay, touch okay, with my okay, mama. Okay. I'm like, mama, I don't <laughs> like these pills. What do I do? Yeah, and what'd she she's say? She's like, wean yourself off. She's, whatever, she's retired now. No yeah. consumer, but she's like, wean off of them. Don't just go off, like, just wean off and just stop taking them. Like, stop yeah. taking them. Right. I'm like, okay, mama, stop taking them. So I went to the back of the doctor and I didn't tell him that I stopped taking them because I knew he just prescribed me something right, else, right? Right, right, right. And I didn't want to take medication. Sure. So I just would say yeah i took them and he'd give me like a reading assignment or something and he's like yeah read this book by this person and it'll really help you and it just was it was utterly useless like it was utterly we didn't wrap together well we didn't we didn't have a rapport yeah you know i did it for about six months or so just to say that i did it and then once again i was like you know what i'm just gonna reinvent myself that's what i'm gonna do and i just i finished i finished my second year successfully um, got through third year, met a Where guy. Were you studying? I was studying history. Yeah. I started off in journalism and I didn't like it. Okay. Uh, and then I switched to history. So my third year, I met a guy. This was a good guy, sort of, um, <laughs> sort of. And um, we started dating and um, he saw me go through um, situate my uh, seasonal affective disorder. Sorry. Where, and did you meet this person at school? I met this person at school. Yeah. He was in school, the same school as, yeah. as myself. And um, so he was heavily into marijuana. Uh, he was v- involved with it. Um, and he saw that I had this uh, seasonal affective disorder. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. Um, like I had insomnia. I was like, I wasn't, I was had, like, my anxiety was up, like, it was just, it always happens, like, during, like, right around November, like, October, November, all the way through to, like, March, April, um, so he suggested that I smoke some marijuana, and I did, and I never smoked marijuana, the first time I drank was when I was 19, yeah, like, I never had a drink, because, you know, with my dad and his drinking, yeah, I didn't know what drugs were. Like, I remember the drugs, drugs, drugs. Some are good, some are bad. Ask your mom or ask your dad. But I didn't know, like, I never asked my mom or my dad what drugs were good or bad. So I didn't know. I didn't know. I just knew, you know, he loved me and he wanted to help me. And uh, so I smoked it and I was happy, sleepy, hungry, and high. And it was like a, it was like a revelation. It was like a complete and total revelation. How could I get more of this? Mm-hmm. You know, so I started smoking, you know, with him. And then, you know, sometimes he might leave me a dime here, a dime there. Because, you know, he was he was in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and then I, I became like marijuana was like my go-to. And then we broke up. And I remember, and then I started smoking cigarettes, which was so gross of me. But we broke up, couldn't get marijuana. So I figured maybe cigarettes would do the trick. I don't know. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. So I started smoking cigarettes. And then I remember like maybe three weeks into the breakup, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I called him like, he needs to come over with some weed. Like, just I just want the weed. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to look at you. <laughs> I hate you, but I need your weed. So, you know, he came over, bought me a bag of weed, like a quarter of weed. And I, that lasted me another like two weeks. And Every two weeks or so, I'd call him and, you know, someone would come and drop off weed for me. And, you know, I had it and I was telling him, like, I would tell him, like, I'm, it's, it's the season, you know what it is. And, you know, that's, that's how I got through things. And, um, 
after my third year you know we got back together eventually um got into my fourth year i was doing really really well still smoking a lot of pot um and it wasn't interfering with your school no, work really yeah. not at all it was helping me focus yeah um it helped me focus even more i got yeah. my sleep i got my rest i could do my like my assignments and my essays and you know whatever i needed to do so yeah. um but in my fourth year uh on december 30th which was my 22nd birthday my grandmother passed away um uh, my mom's mom and uh i went to guyana to bury her and it was like i was high the whole time because my cousin gave me weed at that time because I, I had to find my weed. Mm-hmm. So I was drunk and I was high at my grandma's funeral, which I'm, I'll always be ashamed of. And um, I know she understands, but I'll always be ashamed yeah. of it. And then eight months after that, my other grandmother died. Wow. So once my she first was grandmother. Was in Diana? Or? No, she was in, she died in New York, but she lived with me since I was like nine years old. Wow. It was my dad's mom, yeah. uh, Elaine. So um, when my first grandma died, I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to get high. Like, I didn't care. I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to. So that's when the numbing, the high to get numb as opposed to high to be, like, efficient. Like, oh, I just need it for sleep. Or, oh, I'm, just, yeah. I'm doing this essay. Yeah. I, I want right. to focus. I want It was, like, just a constant nonstop, like, I was smoking more than my boyfriend. He was, like, he, he was a champ. He was a champion. <laughs> so, you know, I just. But that's I a just, good example of when it goes from even maybe like regular use to kind of like an addiction an addiction excessive use yeah yeah. you i was addicted i was addicted um i'm not gonna lie about it i was addicted and um when my second grandma died it it was probably about a year after that and i was again i was in my own apartment i was smoking this a lot this i lived in gatineau for a year in quebec okay um so i graduated barely and then i moved to gatineau and then my grandmother passed away right what were you Um, doing in gatineau I was I was working at Rogers Telecommunications. Just, wow. I just I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave. Honestly, I didn't want to leave my weed. Yeah. I didn't want to go home to my parents and not have weed. Like. Yeah. I wasn't about that life. I'm yeah, like, no. Yeah, I'm yeah. staying here for my boyfriend and for my life, and yeah. I want to build a life in Ottawa. And Got it. you know, but really, in reality, I didn't want to leave my weed, my my supply. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, once um, Grandma Number Two passed away. It was probably about a year, within a year of that. Like, she passed away in September. So, by the next May, I was having my first psychotic break. In Gatineau or? In in Gatineau. Yeah. Um, my boyfriend at the time was with me. Um, I went into the restaurant because I stopped working at uh, the telecommunications firm. I quit my job. Yeah. And then I got a job at a restaurant at Hard Rock Cafe in the Byward Market. It's not there anymore, but that's where I used to be. And I... Um, I was I I just started like feeling paranoid. My my boyfriend at the time went away to Vancouver and left me, you know, with my weed supply. Left a friend in charge of me if my car breaks down or whatever, you know, if she needs anything, like let her let let him know. And um, I called him the friend one night, and I'm like, there's a there's a van parked outside my 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 front door. Like it's been there all day. Like I think it's the cops. Because there was, like, a lot of weed in my house. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of weed in my house. Like, it was a storehouse, basically. Yeah. And so, I'm like, you got to come get this weed. Because I know it's the cops. I know the cops are after me. And they're going to arrest me. And I'm not... I'm, I'll sing like a hummingbird. I'm not going to jail for nobody. Like, so... He drove... He talked to my boyfriend. My boyfriend had the audacity to be like, 
Oniki, you're just being paranoid. Mm-hmm. Like you're being paranoid. It's not a big deal. It's not. It's not. The what friend you think said of. that, or your boyfriend? But I, I, I wouldn't talk to the boyfriend okay. on my cell phone. Yeah, yeah. So I drove to the school library where his friend worked, and right. I used his cell phone to call my boyfriend. Okay. And then he's just like, "Oniki, calm down. Like you're acting crazy. Like stop mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. right?" So that just set me off, and um, <laughs> that set me way off. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah. So, so. What ended up happening was he came back from Vancouver. I was working and I just, I went into work and I was super paranoid. I thought that like, and some, I find with my bipolar, um, I will juxtapose situations that happened to me on, in my past onto other people. Yeah. So I swore that the boss at my workplace, the old man boss was sexually molesting like the young waitresses. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I was going yeah, in there yeah, like yeah. the savior of the world, like second coming of Christ, like, mm-hmm going in there starting a war like for these women you know yeah, what i mean yeah, like yeah so they called the police because <laughs> um, i was clearly acting crazy and there were kids there so they called the police yeah the police drove me around for a little bit and um took me to the hospital called my boyfriend we picked up my car and then we just went home and he couldn't control me like i wouldn't sit still i wouldn't so eat. they didn't keep you in the hospital they didn't keep me wow. it's a good thing though because what ended up happening was my mom my boyfriend called my mom 10 minutes before she was supposed to go on her shift i was like miss dainty like i can't i don't know what's going on there something's really wrong you got to come down to ottawa so my mom my aunt my dad drove the four hours to ottawa to pick me up like and right at that moment right basically. at that moment yeah. like basically instantly like Get into Wendy, get mom, get dad, let's go. Yeah. And so, um, for so that was later, kind of a, a good decision by your boyfriend in some sense. Yeah, no? like, I, like that's the thing. I will always love and respect him for making that. He saved my life. Yeah, wow. He saved my life because yeah. I don't know what would have happened to me in Ottawa's hospital. Right. And also, like, a lot of people just, I mean, some people might even be like, get the hell out of here and, like, kick you out of wherever it was. Or, like, he would have left you alone and not yeah, tried to yeah, do Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, there were so many possibilities. But right. so, he called so, my parents, yeah. and they came and got me, and my mom realized on the way, the four-hour drive, that she had to, like, slap me and beat me to try submissions, try to get me to stay in the car. Yeah. So I was trying to get out of a moving so vehicle. So they, holy sugar. Yeah, okay, yeah, so they got trying, you they in got the car, in and the they're car. like, we're going home. Yeah, like, I thought my dad was Jim Jones. Like, I wouldn't even talk to him or touch him. Like, the yeah. Kool-Aid, cyanide Kool-Aid guy. Yeah. Like, I was just just all sorts of things. I thought I was the second coming of Christ. Yeah. I thought my boyfriend at the time was Father Earth and I was Mother Earth and the diaspora. We were supposed to, like, fi- fix that. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, like, complete insanity. And so that's we a got... Common, like, that's a common experience, though, for yeah. people, right? Yeah, like yeah. Are, there's mean, a connection there between religion and... Yeah. There's some weird there's, connection. There is. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think... Oh, there was something... I, oh, Okay, so let's just pause in the car ride. This is lovely, by the way. <laughs> You're, you are right, like so insightfully describing this. It's amazing. I'm really I'm a writer. This. I told you. Yeah, holy smokes. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because this is another part of my mindfulness, self-compassion class, um, and I've been really trying to work on this, is like forgiveness, self-forgiveness. Um because you said something along the lines of like, oh, uh, your grandmother's funeral. Mm-hmm. You said you were high and you're drunk and you'll never forgive yourself. So I know sometimes we say things like that about things we've done in the past. But have you ever like 
gone or, or practiced forgiveness or self like have is that something you've ever really thought you know about what? or yeah i've forgiven a lot in my life yeah. and i learned to do that through cognitive behavioral therapy um that i got much much later on uh-huh. in my history uh-huh. which we'll get to sure but um that I need to ask my grandmother for her forgiveness. Yeah. And I need to go to her grave in Guyana sure, and sure. stand there with her yeah. and really express myself and cry the tears that yeah. I need to cry. And like that forgiveness is coming. Like I know that's coming. Mm-hmm. It's one of my last pieces. Um, that's lovely. Thank you. Yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. I need to stand with her yeah. and say, I'm sorry for my behavior. You're going to mm-hmm. make me cry. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm crying right now. So it's okay. Because it, it's deep. It's You're deep, right? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. I'm crying too. Yeah. Because so it's beautiful. Like it, the, it's like the allowing of that. Yeah. You know, it's really powerful. Um, okay. So back, sorry for the interlude, but <laughs> back to the drama. Back to the drama. <laughs> So yeah. you're in the car, I'm trying, in the car to escape, trying to escape a moving I'm, vehicle. You know, I have a moving vehicle. Yeah. At the time, I thought it was a mad, like a mother's against drunk driving, like, <laughs> like um, simulation. Yeah. Like I thought it was a simulation that I could get out of, and I'd be in like BMO field, mm-hmm. and it would be like just everyone <laughs> around me in the field. Like uh-huh. it was just, it just weird. It yeah. was just weird. Yeah. So they took me to Scarborough General Hospital. Um, they knew that I was not well. Yeah. Um, I stayed there for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an experience in itself. Yeah. I, I was Were you reluctant down. to be? Like, uh, oh, so you did get the straps. I get the straps. Yeah. I got the straps. I always get the straps. Um, <laughs> I always get the straps in the isolation. Um, that's just a part of the deal. It feels <laughs> yes. like I know so, that's happened to my brother. A couple yeah, times. yeah. So I got the straps. I got yeah. locked down. It was. I always describe it as being in like a fun house. Like every, everything. Like my. I remember my boyfriend at the time came and visited me. His yeah. hands looked bigger than his body. Like I think it was the drugs that I was on. Yeah. They put me on so many drugs to get me leveled, and so. It was like a fun house, like for me. It wasn't, and I was still very manic when they discharged me. Yeah, because wow. mania takes anywhere from six to eight weeks to get over, and they, let, really? they kept me for three weeks. Wow! So I was still very much manic when they let me out. Wow. Um, yeah, so I moved back home with my parents. Yeah. Um, against my will. Yeah. Um, they offered me a lovely painted, brand new decor room. Uh, as a, as a <laughs> consolation prize, so I took it. Like rather than going back, yeah, rather to Gatineau, than going, yeah, guess, rather right? than going back to Gatineau, yeah. they're like, so yeah, they promptly moved me back home. Yeah, and I still I struggled with the marijuana. I, I still I didn't care. The doctor said, you know, Nick, you're allergic, and yeah, yeah. they give it this way. And da, da, da. did they? Is that really what they said? That's what they said. That's, um, that's it's, it's not true, but that's what they said. Well, um, no, but in some ways, like mm-hmm. that is how. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we describe it in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's like we have a physical allergy to the substance. And so when the substance comes in our body, it starts a craving, like mind, body, spiritual craving that can't be ever be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what you said earlier about just numbing and self-medicating. and making, yeah, yeah, like it was definitely a lot of self-medication going I'm just on. very and- in- uh you don't often hear doctors say that, so that was just yeah. Curious. It was yeah. it was interesting the way he put it. Yeah. Um, my first diagnosis was actually bipolar, yeah. um, bipolar one, but um, my second diagnosis after my second um, stay in the hospital, which was like a year later. Yeah. So basically, just to like cover it sure, all sure. at once. Yeah. Um, I've had seven hospital stays. 
um, lasting about two months each, two months each on average. Mm-hmm. So I spent about a year of my life in psychiatric institutions. I won't go over all of the episodes because yeah. they're basically all the, it's all the same. Cops, <laughs> p- cops pick me up, <laughs> drop me off at a hospital. I'm there for two months. You know, I'm on the bad side first. I'm on the good side second. Bad side, you can use pencils and, or you can use bad side, you can use crayons. Good side, you can use pens and pencil crayons. That's the difference. Okay. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to hop over to probably my last episode. <laughs> uh, there was one crazy episode that I had. Um, my sixth episode, my mom kicked me out of the house. Um, she was done with me. I'd been, I'd just been like, I'd gone to, I'd done rehab. I went to rehab for pot, mm-hmm. you know, which was super like to me right now. I understand it, yeah. but then I didn't understand it. Yeah. Like it was my third episode and my parents weren't going to let me back in the house. And then my cousin convinced them to let me back in as long as I went to rehab. So I went to this rehab called destiny manor and I, um, I say 21 days and it was like nothing to me. Like it was like standing on my head. I'd done two months in the right, hospital. Right, 21 yeah, days is yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not being strapped down or tied up. Like whatever. I could do this. <laughs> um, I felt oh, more yeah. like a counselor there. That's that's the thing that was that got me. There were some people there with like what I would consider serious, serious addictions compared to what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And so I felt more counselor to people. You know, people coming to me for advice and answers on things than I did a participant. Because I felt if I participated, you know, people would look at me like, Mm, you don't have a problem yeah like you don't have a problem that's not a real it's called they called it the mayor like all of them planned on smoking marijuana when they left they called it the marijuana maintenance program yeah like they so they were looking at me like what are you doing here like you have your shit together meanwhile i don't have my shit together you know i i need to be here just as much as you need to be here when i went to an outpatient program at saint joe's i lied about all the drugs i did mostly because i was so ashamed and felt so pathetic and ridiculous that I I was there because I was primarily like a marijuana addict. Like mm-hmm. I felt so un it, my sponsor always says like leave it to a marijuana addict to feel less than like a heroin someone who's struggling with heroin or crack mm-hmm. or something else. Like it's so it's a good example of the insidious nature of addiction and mental health problems where you can no matter who you are, where you are, what you are, you can find a reason why you're not as worthy as someone else or you're mm-hmm. more pathetic or you're more, oh, it's so, that was a really awful thing for me. And I think even to this day, I still, it's like I'm, <laughs> it's like I'm not a good enough addict. Yeah, it's like I could be so a better addict. <laughs> I could be better than I am. Gosh, how could I be a better at it? Oh, that's an awesome way to say it. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, like... Oh, it's really... Because I know more and more, even more and more now with the legalization and that it's now out in the open, I wonder I wonder if it's helpful to people or not or whatever who, who are struggling and know they are, but think, this isn't... I'm not worthy of the health counseling. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's not taken as seriously. Even I, like at the time I didn't take it seriously either. I was like, it's just a little bit of pot. Like yeah. what's the big deal? Right. But it was so more than were, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it was were, more than a little bit. Okay. So it was a bit of a sidetrack from your treatment, but so you're in treatment for the marijuana. You were counseling other people. You were sort of like the go-to person. Yeah. So I was, it was, it was hard to take it seriously because yeah. I didn't share when it came time to right. share. And whatever I shared was usually something profound that helped somebody else, not myself. Right. You know, I learned that I was an assertive person in there and I learned how to make a, 
uh, uh, like vision board. And that was basically the gist of it. I read a lot of books. Yeah. You know, it, it and didn't really. And you weren't really, getting counseling in there? I, I was bit? getting a little one-on-one counseling. But yeah. even my counselor, I remember her saying to me, I said something insightful in class. And she's like, oh, you should be a counselor. I'm like, no, like, I, I can't be a counselor at this point. Like, look at me. Yeah. Like, it just, you should go into counseling. And that's what I'm kind of in right now. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it came to fruition eventually. Sure, but at the time, sure. you know, it didn't make sense. Yeah. So. I graduated and I went back home and I was sober for about six, seven months. And um, then, you know, I wasn't. Uh, I don't know what prompted me to smoke the weed again, but something did. And once I got got that hit, I was like, I was just on it. Yeah. Um, I had a fifth episode and right before the fifth episode, uh, I'd met a young person, a woman, um, and she was glamorous and she was dazzling and she was at a gas station trying to get a ride home. And I'm like, this gorgeous woman can't like be bumming a ride. I'll drive her home. And that was probably the worst mistake I'd ever made to that point because she ended up being, you know, she was a kept woman and, uh, I was about to be, I was getting into my mania. And so I thought to myself, I want to be a kept woman. So I would jog five miles a day and I would wear a lot of makeup and really scandalous clothes and, We'd go out and try to like fleece men for their money, and um, this is a part of all a part of the bipolar, though. Yeah, this right, hypersexuality, yeah, 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 yeah. the hyperspending, uh, racing like thought. Mania, it's a right? part of the mania. Yeah. So this woman just basically like was the catalyst almost for like some of this manic behavior Do you think that, that she I was. Doing. was she was on cocaine. Some, okay. She was on cocaine. Okay. So, just so you know our background yeah, story, yeah, she yeah, was on yeah. cocaine. Okay. Um, she was a cokehead. So, yeah. uh, we went out to a party one night, club that her friend owned. Um, I drank 15 shots of Patron. Never drank that much in my life. Uh, never have since. Uh, and then we went home with two uh, guys. And she went upstairs with one. And one proceeded to sexually assault me downstairs. He zooked my joint because uh, I all I knew was I said where are we going she's like uh, we're going to these guys house to check out their studio I said is there weed she's like yeah of course there's weed I'm like alright let's go all right. that's all I needed yeah. that's all I needed to hear Yeah, was there weed hadn't smoked in a couple hours needed my weed so I got there and I usually would if I was in my right mind look at someone I would roll my own joint you know what I mean like yeah, everybody knows like, yeah, you yeah. don't let someone else roll no your own hell joint. no like, that's crazy <laughs> So you roll your own J, right? So I ha- this guy's back was to oh, me. Man. I remember it specifically. He was in a studio similar to this one, like a studio. Yeah. And his back was to me. He was rolling up. And then she went upstairs. She snorted a bunch of coke, went upstairs with a friend. And then, um, you know, he's, he sparks up the joint. And I, I feel funny. And I'm like, what's in this joint? He was a little, just some weed, a little bit of cocaine. I was like, you put cocaine in this joint? I was like, nah, this is not for me. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And he's like, no, just relax, baby. Like, everything's okay. Everything's fine. And then when I got, like, belligerent, you know, because I'm like, no, I'm not staying. Yeah. Like, he basically, you know, just was on me and um, stripped me naked. And we ran around his, the, the three, it was like a three-leveled um, townhouse, got me in the bathroom and basically waterboarded me in submission. Like, turned on the shower and just, like, went to town, like, cold, freezing cold water against my face. And, um, yeah, proceeded to do what he did. And that one, that one for me was of, of all the situations I've been in, that's the, that's the toughest because I was in the middle of mania, you know, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. 
I wasn't doing anything that I was supposed to be doing. So, I don't want to say I blame myself, but, like, the feelings are there. The feelings, the emotions are there. Yeah. Uh, self, self-loathing, self self-blame, self-hatred. You know, I got to work on that one, too. But um, shortly thereafter, I was hospitalized again. And, um, yeah, my mom kicked me out of the house. And I ended up in a room and board situation, which was, like, my salvation. My mom saved my life when she kicked me out of the house. Yeah. Because that's when I got serious about life, like, for a little while, at least for three years. Um, I started working at Michael's Craft Store, you know, got a job, which was the first time in, like, I usually had jobs, like, odd jobs that I get fired from because of my bipolar. They didn't know I was bipolar firing me. They just knew yeah. I was acting funny. Right. So I worked at a bank, you know. I worked at a, not a, chair, a non-profit organization. I worked, you know, so different things. So this time, you know, I got a job at Michael's. I worked there three years. I, my mom helped me go back to school to do my event management um, certification. And then I got a job in Toronto, moved to Toronto, um, was sober, uh, hooked up with the wrong person, thought i've been sober for like three years i could do this i can smoke a joint like at a party it's no big deal and then i got that hit and it was just how can i how can i grab how where can yeah. i get it who can i get it from it was challenging it was really challenging um i was in a new environment i only had a few handful of friends they were all weed smokers you know I didn't have my support system that I had when I was in the Durham region. Um, you know, when I was there, I had a nurse who came once a week, checked on me, checked on my meds, took me to my appointments. You know, I didn't have that support anymore. I was lying to my boss, telling him I had some kind of kidney disorder so that I can go home to Ajax or, or Whippy. Well, it was Ajax at the time. Yep. Um, once a week to like, or once a month to like see the nurse. And, um, you know, I was just lying. Like I was just lying and all those lies uh, combined with marijuana, the stress of the lying, the, the stress of the marijuana, and then the stress of finding out that I might not be able to have a baby because my progesterone levels were too high, and that was due to one of the medications I was taking for my bipolar, uh, caused me to stop taking all my meds. So I'm now unmedicated, I'm smoking weed, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm stressed at work, and this is a recipe for disaster. This is a recipe for the seventh episode, which is exactly what happened. Um, I was in the beaches at the time, and then uh, police picked me up. I was doing the stupidest thing you could possibly imagine. I was like, I want to see how many people would help me up if I fell. <laughs> so I stuck my leg in a fire hydrant, um, like in the in the chains of a fire hydrant, and I just kind of laid there like like a mermaid just kind of like laid down on the ground to see who would stop to help me. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I just, it was just something stupid to do. Like I just, I just wanted to do an experiment. So yeah. So the police were like, well, what are you doing? Like get your foot out of there. And so they picked me up. They're like, where do you want to go? Yeah. I'm like, uh, I said, say Mike's because my, my grandmother, my grandmother of my heart, which is my grandma, Judy. Yeah. I feel my grandma sent her to me. Um, once they passed so I could have a grandma. Um, she did her triple bypass surgery at St. Mike's. So it, the name just, I thought I'd see her there. Right. So I said St. Mike's and I'm fortunate that I did. Cause now, you know, that's my home hospital now. And I have a whole team of people 
that take care of me. Like I have a social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist, nurses, PSWs, chiropractor, like everything, everything, everything I can need is in this one little office. Um, And they have between the family support, the support of my friends, um, myself, my advocating for myself at every turn because I was close to being homeless at at one point um, after I got evicted from my place in the beaches. I didn't have anywhere to live. And I was like, nope, sorry, I'm too cute to be homeless. Like, sorry, can't do this. Boop, boop, boop. Like, let's get me into an apartment as soon as possible. And so I, you know, I made sure once I was in my right mind again, I was advocating for myself at every turn, Um, you know, trying to work the system in my favor, Mm -hmm. you know, a system that hasn't always been in my favor. Um, and I, I got my place. Um, I've lived there for three years. Um, I have three years of recovery now, um, going on four actually of recovery. Um, and, uh, it's thanks to the support of my friends and my family and my team and my writing and my podcast and all the positive things that I'm doing in my life to make sure I'm well. So that's about it. (laughs) I'm speechless to some extent. No, that's beautiful. Thank you. That was... <sighs> One thing we're also learning in the mindful, in this newer class is the, like how we can make sound and like release oxytocin in our bodies. So we always practice a little like, ah. <sighs> <sighs> and my dog, the teacher always said something to She's like, one time she's like, you know, what would you, what kind of sound would you make if you went up to a cute little puppy on the street or a cute little child? You might say something like, oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was a really fun and silly exercise, but it really helps. Um, wow. One thing that I, as you kept saying, and I always find it amazing how people do this, you always manage to get a job somehow throughout all this yes. <laughs> like that is <laughs> i don't know how that's possible i like, reinvent myself oh honestly my school if i had to tell you the one thing i could tell anyone who's going through a mental health crisis when you're in your period of wellness do something in school yeah take take a course a language course or a cooking course or some kind of certification i have my degree from carlton my yeah. ba honors in history i have a postgraduate which i never talked about in pr and communications from humber college and then i have a graduate certificate in event management from durham college i go to school when i'm Jeez. when i'm lost yeah. in life yeah. i go to school and school gets you jobs yeah like it might not get you the best job sure but it, it gets your foot in the door. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you're if you're out there and you're saying to yourself, well, I just I have a high school education. That's all I have. And that's all I'm ever going to be. You're wrong. You know, yeah, there's adult education, continuing education courses going on. There's OSAP. There's things that you could do. Um, but school school's how I got through and school's how I got my jobs. I volunteered. I did school. You know, when I'm I, I was telling you earlier about my ebbs and flows with my mania. Mm-hmm. Like right now I'm getting up at 5 a.m. every morning, sometimes 430. I go to bed at 830. And in between that, I do like 19 things in a day. Now, my doctor told me to slow down because he's like, you're high. Like yeah. you're you're a little you're not manic, but yeah. you're elevated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is my elevation time. You know, I fall into winter and then I bounce back into spring and summer. So I will get up at five in the morning and do 15 things. Or like if you look at my agenda, it's wild and crazy during this period of time. That's that's just the ebbs and flows of my bipolar. Right. 
You know, everyone, everyone functions differently in their, in their illness, but there's times where, and especially when it comes to the the depression part of my, my illness, there are times where I feel so low. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to shower. I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. And I don't, (laughs) and I don't, Mm -hmm. I wallow in it. I ruminate in it. But when you're ruminating in that, that time, pick up a book and read a book. You know what I mean? Or just jot some notes down. Something, a to-do list, something you'd like to accomplish in that day. And if you don't accomplish it, that's okay too. There's another day that's coming. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I I recommend school, even self-education. There's a site called Corsica. Yeah, it's Where amazing. you could do, I yeah. haven't done it yet. I haven't done it There's yet. There's a bunch of them. There's well, a bunch of them. Of them. Yeah. yeah, like, if you have access to the internet, you have access to knowledge. Yeah. Like, you have access to wisdom. And you need to to harness that and use that to your advantage you know on the podcast yesterday we were talking about effective communication that's really important for people with mental health issues because you know we get into those hospitals and we're railroaded we're completely bowled over we don't know what the doctors are talking about what they're saying their diagnoses what it means but through through effective communication through studying through learning you could you could be able to use the system to your advantage because there's a lot of advantages in this system. There's a lot of resources that we have in this system. It's, a ma- it's up to you though to go out there and find them. Don't expect life to just happen to you. You need to happen to life. Yeah, that's. I wanted to ask you about your. Do you this um, this idea of advocating for yourself and sort of pursuing your own solution? Um, Part of it seems to be inherent to people, and then part of it seems to be maybe learned or right place, right time. Like, was it something you learned, like, through your family? Do you think it's inherent to yourself? Sort of what? what is it about that? Maybe. I uh, think, yeah. I think, because I'm, I'm a believer in the God of my understanding. Yeah. You know, um, I call him or her God. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to use God as the term yeah. on the show right now. Um, I don't think God put me on this earth to just suffer for no reason. That's what that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. Like, God didn't put me on this earth and, and the other earths that I've been on <laughs> and the other realities that I've lived in. And I've suffered. I know that I've suffered because only certain people could take the kind of suffering that I've been through. Like I know that, but I know there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. I know I just cross cross cultured a lot of different things just now, but you know <laughs> I know there's a pot of gold at the end of my rainbow. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it feels like, but I'm about to know because I'm at a precipice in my life right now where you know I have that time of recovery. I have that self awareness. You know I know how to advocate for myself, and that's a course that I would love to teach in the future as a self, mm-hmm. just advocating for yourself and teaching people how to advocate for themselves and say no and say when to say no and when to say yes. You know um, I just don't believe he put me on this earth to suffer in silence and to suffer for no reason at all. There's a purpose to what I've gone through. You know being here with you, this is purposeful. Yeah. You know having this conversation, telling my story, writing my story down. Like that's all purposeful because it's going to help other people. And that's what I'm in it for. I'm not in it for the fame. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for the accolades. I'm in it to help other people get through whatever they're going through to know that if I can do it, then definitely you can do it. And in regards to my family, I have a very like on my on my mom's side, we're very we have a very strong connection. We have there's eleven kids on my mom's side and we're all bonded like deeply. The cousins are bonded.
bonded. I have over 50 first cousins. They're bonded deeply. And it's like, there's no getting lost in my family. Mm. There's no, and having that support system is key. Yeah. So if I'm not able to advocate for myself, my cousin Kim will advocate for me or my grandma Judy will advocate for me or my mom will advocate for me if I'm not in a position to do it myself until I can do it myself. Yeah. So having that support system is key. And it doesn't have to be blood relatives, family. It could be your friends. It could be the pe- the circle in which you associate with, making sure that you're in a good circle and you're not in a negative circle. You know, that's full of, you know, you want to be in a circle full of positivity. People who are strong, people who know more than you, who might be better than you at something, you know, so that when the time comes and you need their help and you need their advice, you know, you're getting sound advice from them, you know, so it's, it's self-advocation for me. It is, it's part inherent Mm -hmm. just because of the nature of my life. Yeah. You know, I, I'm Guyanese. I was born Guyanese and my parents had to advocate. Yeah, for us to right. come up to Canada. Right. You know, I saw that struggle. Yeah. Like, I saw the struggle of, you know, them being in an apartment, my mom working two two jobs, my dad working, you know, moving to the apartment to a house, and from a house to a bigger house, from a house, that bigger house to a condo where, you know, they've owned, they own the condo now. They don't have to worry about anything in their twilight years. Like, I know about that, like that self-sufficiency and that self-advocacy because nobody handed anything to my family. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever handed anything to me. Everything I have in my life, I've earned, you know, and that's about, it's it's about your earning power. And I think everybody has that power in them. It's a matter of standing up for yourself and saying, this is what I need. This is what I want. And this is how I'm going to get it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you also said, which I think a lot of people, it's helpful to, to be clear is, um, getting support from people or g- having people advocate on your behalf and until you develop the skills to be able to do it for yourself. Because mm-hmm. that's a huge thing that I think gets lost in this whole conversation is that that's ideal. We want to all get to the place where we can advocate for ourselves. But nobody, well, it's not fair for everyone to be expected to be able to advocate for mm-hmm. themselves, especially mm-hmm. when times are rough. And I personally even fo- have a, I get sort of lost in that where I forget what it took for me to get to a point where I can't advocate for myself. Yeah, it's not easy. No. And I still need help. I mean, I still get help, lots of help, but it's definitely different than it was. But, oh. <sighs> Uh, <sighs> that was so awesome. Um, we are past the hour. Um, what else? Is there anything else you want to no, talk about? We talked um, about the your, the Dainty Dish podcast. I just want to give you the link again. That's uh, Dainty yep. Dish. The, the like give us all your, all your all your links. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the reason the name is Dainty Dish is because my last name's Dainty and I've got that dish. So that's why it's Dainty Dish. So it's D-A-I-N-T-Y-D-Y-S-H dot com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at Best of Onika. That's B-E-S-T of O-N-I-K-A. Um, Facebook, Onika Dainty. And um, I think that's it. I think okay. that's it. Right. And if you want to email me, um, dish at daintydish.com that's d-y-s-h at dainty d-y-s-h dot com awesome and yeah all that stuff will be included in the the show notes that's what they call it right on the uh, on the, the podcast the links yeah and all your info um trying to think if there's anything else uh actually one thing that I 
really loved hearing you say the other day, I think when we were on the phone, uh, you have a pretty awesome new job. And you said, you said, oh, I wish I think I'm going to try to paraphrase. Well, you got your sort of security clearance. <laughs> yeah, you were like, I haven't taken it off in a couple of days except when I went in the shower or something like that. But Yeah, I didn't take it off for the first week <laughs> unless I was going to the shower. But yeah. I kept, I slept with it. It's amazing. I was so yeah. proud of myself because St. Mike's used to lock me up and now I'm right. with them. So, <laughs> That's so, so lovely. Yeah. It is, it's actually full circle. Yeah. I'm a peer support specialist yeah. um, I'm I and I'm loving my job. I'm loving what I do. Um, it's my calling. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm right where I'm supposed to be in life. That's very. And that's a pretty lovely. good feeling, considering that, that there's yeah. most of my life I haven't felt that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, that is very lovely. Thank you so much. <sighs> it's gonna be the sigh and the, the story. Okay. Um. Thank you, Onika. You're welcome. It's very lovely. Um. So goodbye, everybody, and Bye. I will get back on to whatever we were listening to before, which I don't know what it was, but here we go. Take care.